0: Welcome to Grief is My Side Hustle, the podcast. I'm Megan Reardon Jarvis, your host, and I am beyond thrilled to be here with my friend and colleague, Brooke James of The Grief Coach. I am especially excited because when I was first on podcasts myself, Brooke and I had this one that just both of us afterwards were, whew, that was so fun, we should do that again. So she's gonna talk to us about her work and her world of grief and loss and her podcast and the crossover work that we are doing together. Welcome, my friend, Brooke James.
1: Thank you so much, Megan, for having me today. I'm so excited to be here. Hi, everyone. Uh, My name is Brooke James. I am the host, the producer, all everything for the Grief Coach podcast, which has been around for about a year and a half. An audience has grown to 80 countries, which is crazy and million billion downloads it's nuts i'll tell my story a little bit so my dad died in april of 2019 after a very quick bout of cancer the kind of cancer he had was very rare most people do not survive it and so we knew that it was not looking good he was diagnosed september of 2018 and passed away april 2019 I stopped working the week we put him in hospice and handled a lot of the stuff that we typically think a spouse would handle. I, one of his four children, and so I did power of attorney. I was organizing hospice. I was working with the nurses. Prior to that, I worked in management consulting and was traveling every week. So a big change, but needed to not be working while we were doing hospice. And so he could do hospice at home. Through that, I learned quite a bit about myself and about how people interact with hard things, which I'm happy to get into a little bit more later. I really could not believe how many of my peers had no idea what to say to me. And how when I was just looking everywhere for resources to almost get a model on what should I be feeling and what should I be doing as I was going through the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I didn't feel like any of the books out there were speaking to me. So the podcast actually started as I was going to write a book. And then I was like, Oh, writing a book is so hard. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Yeah, sister. It is so hard, <laughs> but maybe, maybe one day I did not have like the mental bandwidth for it in the summer of 2019. And um, so such a New York story. I was at an event sat at the same table as this woman who is the director of podcasting at a major streaming service. And we're chit-chatting across the centerpiece. And she is like, Oh, you'd be so good on a podcast. And I was like, Well, actually I'm working on a book, which all I had at this point was like an outline. It was not a big thing. I'd love to talk to you. So we had coffee and I showed her the outline and she was like, you should do this. Okay because I think something that probably a lot of your listeners can relate to, and probably you can relate to is after you go through something major like this, you're just kind of like, well, why not? Like, why not try? What's the worst thing that could happen? So started the podcast and it got a really great reception and now it has grown very much and I talk about stories of all different kinds of people all different kinds of loss Um, really hoping that those who are grieving can hear themselves in some of these stories those who are grief adjacent can build some empathy to better support people and I also like to highlight some cool innovation happening in the grief and death space because as anyone who has gone through this knows it is a sector that is ripe for innovation Megan and I got connected a few months ago and we had so much fun on my podcast episode 55, where we talked about the neuroscience of grief, and I was obsessed with you. <laughs> I was like, I need to talk to this woman all the time, <laughs> and um, and now we do because we are working, as Megan mentioned, on this crossover about dating after loss. Because my dad died when I was 30 and single, so I still need to figure out how to date after loss and how do I talk about it on a date. Mm-hmm. et cetera. And so we're exploring all different types of laws. So divorce, people who are widowers. I think we're going to try to talk to people who've been fired. And if that's been significant, lots of stuff to talk about, lots of different losses, but check those out as they're getting released.
0: So what our listeners don't know is that this is our second podcast together today, because this morning we did do our dating crossover. And part of the reason we decided to do this is that just even in our first conversation, anytime you go into space, like podcasting or writing or singing, You want to know what else is out there. And it is really interesting that a lot of the other developmental stages of life, like, you know, if you're a parentless parent or you're a motherless daughter, or you're a widower, there's a lot of podcasting out there that sort of catches that. But what we talked about in our podcast this morning, and everybody should go and find it on The Grief Coach, is that there's a very unique stage of life that sort of late 20s, early 30s is where you're really trying to build your own nest and figure out who you are and figure out what your life is going to look like and to have that interrupted with a significant loss. And it could be your boyfriend died. It could be your dad died. It could be that you got fired or your house burned down. It doesn't have to be the death of a parent but there is something unique also about the death of a parent, meaning they're sort of your backstop. And here you are trying to kind of launch out into the world. Mm-hmm. And so part of the reason that we decided to continue the conversation is just a, it's not really out there. People aren't really having it. You and I have seen it on other people's Instagrams as kind of a one-off or a meme, but our hope is to talk to people who are really doing it. The conversation that we have this morning was pretty incredible and already some themes have sort of come up and One of them that I'd love for you to talk about right now is, you know, the notion of like, what is the process like to get back into your life, right? What was that (laughs) like for you? Because this podcast is all about what is grieving look like? The verb of grief, grieve, how do we do it? And so I want to know for you, what did you have to do to get from here to there?
1: Megan, that is a story. So, and my life looks so different than it did a couple of years ago. So as mentioned, I was in management, consulting, finance, I have an economics degree. I want to wear a suit. I am going to make a ton of money. And this is my life. That very quickly changed. I've hated every job I've had. Hated. And you did you not know that before your dad died? Or yeah. No, I did. I did. So I would call my brother crying after work. And my brother is an actor and we have wildly different personalities. And he would be, like, just quit if you hate it. And I was like, Thomas, <laughs> you can't just quit a job. <laughs> like. <Right. laughs> and he was like, why not? You hate it. It doesn't work like that. So and that was funny. And he's so cute. He's like, you're so much happier now. He's very mm-hmm. sweet. And we're actually neighbors. We live in the same building and I'm so happy we're so close. <laughs> but, um, So after my dad died, I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. Like, and it really, I could barely get out of bed. The And then when I did, I couldn't really have conversations with people. Because I was so barely holding it together. So I would go to Soul Cycle, go to Pilates and walk, and that was it. So for my grief as a verb was like movement. Yeah. Because awesome. I needed to move this energy out of my body. And I recognize very lucky to be able to take time to figure that out. I know that. And I want listeners to know that I know that. And then as we're starting to figure out planning a funeral, which was yuck, it was very non-traditional. It was lovely. But and it was at the Jane Hotel, I don't know if anyone who lives in New York or has visited New York, it looks like you're like fancy uncle's state upstate. Amazing. And then we had kind of like a party. We had champagne. We had past hors d'oeuvres. He mm-hmm. loved champagne. People came in from all over the world for this service. I had everyone send me their speeches and Father's Day is coming up. So I'm reading some of them this week and oh. reading the guest book. We'll talk about Father's Day in a little bit, but I really just had this what is my life and what am I going to do? And so I was like, I'm going to start my own business. That makes the most sense. I'm going to do some consulting work for health and wellness companies. I've always wanted to get into that space. And so I set up an LLC and then I went to Europe for a month. I have a bunch of friends who live over there. So kind of couch hopped around, which was great. And I think was really helpful for me to get out of my routine when I would normally call him. And so to be able to go and just sit and experience new things. And the whole thing about travel is it does disrupt your routine. I knew I was grieving and I knew I was sad. I did spend some time in Paris, which was one of his favorite cities in the world that he spent so much time in. And I would go places that I, him and I had gone together and that I knew he loved, saw some of his friends, all of that. Um, but then came home and had to deal with launching a, uh, Consulting business, which I did successfully, mm-hmm. and clean a house out that he had lived in for 22 years with my sister, my brother, and my niece and nephew. So that was a lot, and I was 30 when all of this happened. Which I think, as when you're 30, you're like, oh, "I'm a grown up," and then when stuff's happening, you're like, Ooh. "Where are the grown ups? Where are the grown ups?" <laughs> <are the> <laughs> and so, back to that point, the people who I would ask for advice on what to do were my parents' friends yeah. because. As a 30 year old, most of the people who I know, and I have several friends who've lost a parent, a majority of them, it was when they were younger or their parents were still together. And so the spouse was doing all of this stuff that my sister and my brother and I had to do. So.
0: Yeah. You hit a lot of the high notes of the things that people talk about as being really difficult in grief, the stuff, you know, there's always some stuff. And how do we feel about the stuff? The anniversaries like father's day, we mm-hmm. can talk more about that. But one of the things that's interesting that I noticed that you talked about was, was sort of embracing the, the break, the shattering. My mom died. COVID hit us. Not that, not that, far afterwards. I had about six months to sort of be in the loss of her. And then the whole world seemed to like roll up in their bus of loss right behind me. But one of the things that I have come to understand for me, and I think might be true in general, is that when you grab on tight to try to make something as it was, when it's broken, you end up with cuts on your hands, right? You have to embrace the break of it. And not everybody can take a trip to Europe. You and I were both incredibly lucky that there was space, time, resources, all that stuff to carve out and really be in the grief. But I do think it says something to people listening that you have two women who are telling you that their stories Encompassed that loss, processing the energy of that loss was a full time job for months and months on end, and still is a part time job or maybe a full time job, depending
1: on where we are in the calendar. That's so interesting. And I think really beautiful language that you used of like, you cut your hands if you don't embrace the break. That's really poetic, Megan. And so I had several people I knew who were like I would have just gone back to work would tell people like I could not function and someone in my family said to me when are you going to go back to work and I was like I can barely have a conversation with one person the thought of a meeting was treacherous to me yeah and so and I could not go back and kind of take a minute and so I did but I also think the podcast allows me to acknowledge how my grief has evolved over time because it grows with you. And I think there is this notion that we want our grief. This is like for people who haven't grieved. I don't feel like anyone who's gone through a loss feels like this, but maybe, you know, people who do because you talk to people about this more who are maybe only talking to a therapist, you just like move and grow with it because it, changes as you change as a relationship would with a family member, a friend, a loved one, whatever that changes as you change. And so yeah. does, so your grief changes as you change. So I'm so grateful. And I think that having the podcast has really allowed me to process it in a way that I'm much more comfortable with it. And it's just kind of a fact of my life than some other people in my family.
0: Yeah. And there's a lot of neuroscience, as you know, that's my pet project, there's a lot of neuroscience about spending time talking writing, you know, using language to kind of create a core narrative that is something that you can carry that Mm -hmm. feels manageable. I remember in the beginning, you know, that I did some inpatient treatment. My listeners know when I first got to inpatient treatment, it's pretty standard. It's like going to jail. I think where they're like, what are you in for? All I could say is my mom died. And I couldn't even get that out as a straight sentence. That part of the story was still so overwhelming to me that I really couldn't pick it up and carry it. There was a neat meme you may I've seen it on Instagram of Lois Friel's work, which is if you, if it's a ball of grief, people think the ball gets smaller, but actually the jar gets bigger around the ball. You know, the, there are a million metaphors. I always ask people what their metaphors are because I think anything that people can find relatable is helpful. But I always think about it as developing the muscles to carry this weight that has sort of been dumped on you. And you're going to be carrying it for the rest of your life. It's not always going to feel as heavy as you and I know. I can now, I have a narrative structure. I have practiced talking and doing a shit ton of writing about my mom and to a large degree, my dad, because I lost them both. And, and, being able to say, this is the story, but I feel like I am living my life into understanding the legacy of what the loss, their deaths at that time in my life forever. Now you and I both happen to have a big part of our lives crack open that becomes this traumatic growth. My hypothesis would be that we had that room anyway that because you weren't fulfilled in your job, because you hadn't landed on that thing, that there was always this room, like an extra bedroom that you could have filled with something. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting for me is I think when my dad died, which my kids were younger, my business was different. I actually was one of those people who was ready to go back to work, ready to go back. I didn't really want to talk about it. My dad's company took a huge ad out in the New York Times with him. His last name is Reardon, and that's the one that I practice under. So I had clients that were like, "Hey, your dad didn't die, did he?" And I was like, "Ah, fuck my yeah, actually, my dad did die." Oh my god! I hadn't shared a lot of that with them because I was able to kind of keep it in a part of my life, and so I was happy. and and to some degree still am, I was happy to go to work and be like, let me show up for someone else's story. This sounds really good. When my mom died, if anyone else talks to me about anything that they have going on, I I may hurt them. I cannot see past my own hands. I am so overcome with my own feelings and my own self that I, I had lunch with my supervision group, these two women that I have, you know, gotten peer consultation from for over, over a decade, 15 years. And I went to them and I could barely like speak. I was, I hadn't yet decided to go to treatment, but they're clinicians. They could see where, where we were headed. It was like, I handed them the keys to my life. I was like, I need you to tell me what to do because I can't ever imagine going back into my office and being absolutely I'm ready. Why don't you talk to me about how you're doing? Just the concept of that is so impossible. And so they said, you're going to take six months off. And honest to God, Brooke, when they said six months off, if they had said, you're going to stop being a therapist, that would have seemed more reasonable than six months. I can't do that for six months. And honestly, I don't think I could have come back a heartbeat sooner. I really just don't think I could have.
1: But I think that's so interesting and perhaps we can talk about of So much of our worth as individuals in American society is tied to what do we do for a living and also not resting, which is something I've been thinking about a lot recently because partly because my job trajectory and career path is a tornado. You yeah. look at it and you're like, how the hell did this happen? We want to be like, no, I could do it and I'm strong enough that I could yeah. go back to work and I'm fine and I'm so successful and look at me, even though I'm so stressed and sad, I could do it, which like long-term does so much damage right. regularly, not even when you add right. a death into the mix. Right. Like, <laughs> And right. so I think it's like very interesting that I mean, I think both you and I are quite well adjusted as far as our grief goes. There's good days, there's bad days, et cetera. I am now. But now I wasn't. But like taking the time to process it was really critical in getting to where we both are. It was much more a, I don't really have a
0: choice about this. And the truth of the matter is, you know, the implied privilege is I did have a choice about it. I was not the primary breadwinner to feed my children. I have a business where my clients were going to be there. They waited for me to come back. There was room, there was space. And so part of, part of what I think about is we as a culture don't give a lot of space and we don't expect a lot of space and we don't really understand what the process is like. I'm hoping that's the gift of both of our podcasts for us to be able to talk to other people and be like, no, no, this is how earth shattering it was. This is how long it took for this podcast. Like these are the verb action steps that I took that helped me. I I had a neuroscientist on, I haven't broadcast her podcast yet, but she likened acute grief, traumatic loss, mm-hmm. to having a really serious concussion. And she was like, what's oh, interesting, when you have a serious concussion, you're followed by your doctor for three months afterwards. There's your argument right there for three months of bereavement leave. The Biden administration, I don't know where they're at with this, but there's um, another grief writer and journalist and sort of extraordinary person, Allison Gilbert, who is, I think, on the board of Evermore. And they've been lobbying the Biden administration to set a precedent of every company should have a bare minimum, or at least the federal government, or, you know, however government is able to make recommendations of three months of bereavement loss in the same way that you, you know, also having a baby is a trauma. And we, we say, we don't expect you to figure that. Well, I mean, maybe we do. Yeah. It depends on where you work. Depends where you work. Yeah. But in other countries, women get a year off you know, in the UK, women get a year off to have a baby and their jobs are held and there's no repercussions. But I think part of it is it is that heavy. It is that hard. And the reason I talk about it is if anyone should have been able to be, I got it. It's me. I have multiple degrees in this field. I have read all the books already. I have already coached and encouraged and supported hundreds of clients down this
1: path myself. And it was, nope, sorry. If you were talking to anyone else, you would say, give yourself grace and give yourself time. 100%. And we are always our own harshest critic. And so how can we be gentle with ourselves, which is something I'm starting to learn and do. And Nicer self-talk, my therapist and I are really working on because I'm really bad at nice self-talk. But how are we gentle with ourselves when we're going through something hard?
0: You know what I have a really hard time with? And I would say that this is probably, you know, I have 25 years of therapy under my belt, multiple therapists, but I think every one of them would be like, yeah, you don't do this that well, Megan is, is, I mean, they would say it with love because therapists are very loving people, but I expect myself to know. You know, we were just talking about father's day two seconds ago. I had a nervous breakdown, like in public, I had the nervous breakdown on Instagram. I had the nervous breakdown in front of my kids, in front of their friends about the dishes in the sink yesterday. I came home. Oh yeah, I saw kids, your post. Not, thank you. My kid's mother effing dishes were in the sink. Meanwhile, the dishwasher is next to the goddamn sink and my children are not invalids. They are perfectly capable. And I came into my house and in this white rage, and I know because of all my therapy that white rage has behind it some kind of pain. So I did the rage for like a minute. I raged on Instagram. then I called my best friend and we talked about other stuff. And she was like, okay, you want to tell me about the pain? And I'm telling you, she asked me, do you want to tell me about the pain? And I was at father's day in 12 seconds. This time of year is a disaster for me. My father's birthday is June 5th. This spring is the period of time that I flew back and forth, like flew back and forth a million times, making sure that, I was spending as much time with him as I could while he was dying. The whole month of May, the whole month of June is an anniversary of some kind, which Facebook likes to remind me. And then we get to his death day, which my dad's death day is tomorrow. And I just couldn't get there on my own. I needed someone to be like, what do you think? You know, why do you think you might be really in pain? And I'm yeah. like, well, father's day is coming up and my dad's anniversary. That is where I am not gentle. My process almost always needs a person. I almost always need someone else to come in and say, Hey, how you doing? And yet I get furious with myself that I can't just keep that self-contained and do it all by myself.
1: I am not gentle to myself in that way. Interesting. So I also had a Father's Day meltdown this weekend, which I told you about before we started recording. And I will very, very briefly say, um s- I was talking to someone on Saturday and they did something and I was really annoyed. And then I was like, also, like I haven't slept. Also work's been terrible. Also, 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 and it's Father's Day. And they just looked at me and they were like, oh, okay. Like this meltdown makes sense. But then I also with work, I was very short on a meeting and I slacked people separately. And I almost wonder, sometimes I do this and I'm like, am I being too much? Am I being like too griefy? Am I expecting too much grace from other people? And is this okay that I was just like to two people on my team that I'm working with for this project? Hey, Father's Day is this week. So this is a terrible week for me. So if I seem short at all, that's why. And at first I was like, oh, this is good. and But then after I said, I was like, is that even okay to do in a work setting? I do work in the grief space and that I had to be like, huh, I'm not sure is kind of nuts, right? It is nuts. But the
0: answer to the question is you're going to make it okay by doing stuff like that. Part of the reason we don't know the answer is that people have tried to do all that grieving behind closed doors and keep it small and keep it quiet. And I think in reality, we just have to take the space that we require and maybe it'll be too griefy for someone, but you know, Oh, well, when people say to me, like, am I being too much? It's like, do you have the option to be less? Like, what is that? (laughs) Right. Like what is that question? You know, if you're, if you are being manipulative and you are, you know, acting as if you are upset because you want someone to give you attention yeah, let's not do that. Manipulation is a problem, but When I am just in my feelings and I feel the way that I feel, I probably am too much for some people. I have come to really understand that. You know, There are people who I know wish that I was not talking about, posting about grief and loss all the time. They liked me better the old way. Mm -hmm. But my feeling about that is, oh, fucking well, this is how much space it takes up in my life now. I don't know if it always will. But I'm not disingenuous about this. This is exa- exactly how much time I spend on it is exactly how much time I need. And it's, right. a it's a lot, it's a lot. But I don't know the answer. I do think that between what our culture and our world expects, and honestly, quite frankly, some of our friends and family expect and the way that it actually feels, I would rather people give us more and maybe I don't need that much more. Let me give it back to you. I'm ready to come back to work. Then the other way around, which is me overwhelmed, struggling, trying to drag my ass out of bed to go to work because I'm afraid I'm going to get fired or I'm going to put on a performance, you know, improvement plan because they've given me lip service that it's okay. But actually I
1: don't, it doesn't feel like it's okay. I think that's a great point. I also have the same worry of, am I being so much. Is this crazy? And then I'm like, no, I'm still really fun. I just also like talk about this grief stuff. I'm still really good at like the work I do, but this is also happening. And to get to that space took a long time. I
0: I think that's the indicator of healing, right? And sort of growing into your space with grief, because in the beginning it is like being in a storm wet all the time. And I think it oscillates, you know, there are all these modern grief theories and one of them is dual processing where you're sort of, you're loss related for some of that time. And then others of that time you're restoration related. So do I laugh with my kids all the time? Are there times that I can have conversations about my mom and my dad and not have the catch in my throat? I'm just having a conversation about two people that I love that died. Yes. Are there other times that my kids say that and I have to excuse myself and go cry in the bathroom or not cry in front of them? Yes, but I don't think one is a failure and one is I'm doing things well. I just think, yeah,
1: grief is like like the weather. That's how it goes. Right, yeah. And I think with milestones specifically, my cousin just like threw her first dinner party in her apartment and it was all friends who my cousin and I are very close friends. And then we have a shared group of friends. And so it was all people who knew my dad. And so she bought grappa because my dad loved grappa. And she was so cute. She's like, I told the guy at the liquor store the whole story and why we had to get it. He didn't need to know that, but I told him anyway. (laughs) And and we had grappa for him. And so we'll do that in this group. If we're at a restaurant, we see grappa on the menu. We always order it. And then we cheers to him. And it's not a big deal with some friends. I'll be like, oh, my dad would love this. And it's fine. But then like on Sunday night, so a week before Father's Day, I felt compelled to look through his entire photo library, which I have on my computer. Mm-hmm. To look through my all my photos of him. To look through the guest book from the funeral. To look through. He kept a folder of all of the cards I ever gave him. Oh my God. Do you do this thing? I have this thing where I like, every time there's a milestone date coming up, I'll post about it. And I'm mad that there's not new pictures. Yeah. Do you do that? Yeah. And I get pissed. This is all I have. And I'm never going to get any more. And the same with cards, because when we were cleaning out his stuff, we found all the cards I gave him and I have, all the, I've kept a lot of cards. He gave me in adulthood. I, I don't normally do this unless it's a milestone. Day. Yeah. I mean, it's such an interesting
0: thing though. And I know that it, people are listening and they're nodding their heads or going to write to us about it because I hear about it all the time that people recheck voicemails, that they look at pictures, that they go through cards, that they visit you know, special places that they listen to specific songs. I think we all have our rituals and, you know, I have a grief writing workshop and that's one of the prompts that's in there. What music matters to you, what photos matter to you, Mm -hmm. just to sort of help us step into that. But I do think part of what you're just sort of sharing is you, instead of getting pulled under the water, you choose it. Right. And yeah. I, and I think people sometimes do this with breakups too, where they listen to the old voicemail
1: or they drunk dial the old partner, the old, partner or the old right. girlfriend or whatever. And
0: they look for like,
1: look at their Instagram, like yeah. whatever.
0: And what I always think about that is that's not random. I actually talked to my, to clients about this too, with snooping. Cause snooping always comes up. People are like, Oh, you know, I checked my boyfriend's phone and I feel terrible about it, but also
1: I found something on the I phone. I can't, What I like the snooping on the phones, like I can't deal with it.
0: Well, the thing about snooping on the phone is what you end up talking about is the snooping on the phone. What did you find? What did you not find? What we forget to do, which is similar to the grief and loss when you spend seven hours looking at every photo of your dad that you ever have is you forget to wonder what was the feeling that made that even occur to me. Right. Right. All the way back before you decided to open somebody's phone, you had a feeling. And in those instances, it's usually some kind of anxiety, right? You feel panic. You look at the phone and almost always, you're going to be able to find something where you're like, that's why I was panicking. Who is TJ anyway? Right. And it doesn't mean that the panic is, you know, relevant but it does give you something then to sort of perseverate over. And what I think about in grief and loss is we don't want to forget to show up for the pain that drove whatever the behavior is. Go back to that core moment. And maybe the core moment just is an anniversary. Maybe the same way that like, I don't know, people don't buy themselves anything. And then on their birthdays, they buy themselves a Tesla. There are times where we like, you know, we, we jump into the bigness of it and allow ourselves to be overwhelmed, which is different. Than the neuroscience of trauma, which is it pulls me under, right? And everybody also has that, which is like, you're in the grocery store, you're just there to pick up some bananas. And all of a sudden your dad's favorite song comes on and you are triggered and you can't move. And some person is like, are you okay? And you forget the bananas. An alligator comes out of the swamp, clamps on your leg, and they pull you under into the swamp grief, but I think what you're talking about, which is important. And sometimes you tell friends and they're like, why are you being so morbid? Why are you doing this? But actually it's a healthy process of, I am going to choose to go into this because the anniversary is here or father's day is here. And that is the initial pain. I'm going to manage that pain
1: by sort of sticking my head in the fire hose and taking it. Right. I've written to companies. It should be an option to opt out of father's day emails. Yeah. You're seeing all the ads and all the stuff and your friends, Oh, I'm going home for father's day. And you're like, fuck you. Like, right. sorry. Am I allowed to swear? I can. Oh yeah. Yeah. Without love me. Okay. Here. Great. This great. My sad hustle. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I get jealous and angry at people yeah. who can still see their dads. I know. It doesn't happen often, but when it does, then I'm like, this is a totally normal feeling. It is okay. I, I think it does come from like milestone days, I think are acceptable yes. for other people. Oh yeah. It makes sense. You're sad on father's day, right. but if you're like, it's Wednesday and I'm sad, people are like, why it's the I managing do- your grief for other people. As it relates to other people, I, guess, I do
0: this less now, but it was, you know, 10 days after his 80th birthday that he died. And so anytime anyone said, Oh, I'm going home for my dad's 86th birthday, I would literally in my head, I'd be like, Fuck you. How come you got your dad for six more years and I got my dad? Right. So in order to manage that, which is, I am having a feeling, I would say to the person out loud, even I even did it to somebody who was a friend of my husband's who I didn't even know. It's like, I'm sorry. I'm totally distracted by the fact that my dad died at 80. And I always have feeling when someone says that their dad lived past 80. Okay. I'm better. Keep telling your story. But I say those things out loud sometimes, mostly really to regulate myself because that little wounded part of me wants to be like seen and known. I don't want everyone else thinks they're having a normal conversation and I'm drowning. So I, I generally say it out loud, but also I just want people to know that is what grief feels like. I work with women who have fertility issues and they will tell you it is the exact goddamn thing that they have never thought about pregnant women before. But now that they are struggling to get pregnant, the world is only populated by pregnant people, that they are everywhere and that they are in their face with their pregnancy, that they sat down on a bus and this woman came over and shook her belly in my face and they know. And of course that's not what happens, but that is what feels like it happens when you are slightly wet with grief all day, you feel Mm. the cold air of wanting and longing for your dad for six more years. I think people think your dad died a year ago or your dad died three years ago. And they don't know that you still clock with resentment when other people, and and, I mean, I do want to be clear that like my dad will have been dead four years tomorrow and I don't actually clock that all the time. That particular piece is not as heavy to carry as it once was.
1: Right. No, and it's definitely not as heavy to carry, but it you are carrying it. Yeah. What are you going to do for Father's Day? Do you have a plan?
0: Is there a-, is there a Do are you I gonna- have a plan?
1: <laughs> what is the Obviously. Plan? Tell us um, so one of my best friends is going to actually come up for the weekend from DC, and we are going to- they arrive on Saturday, so we're gonna go out for dinner on Saturday night at some like yummy Italian place. Drink a lot of red wine, and then on Sunday we're gonna go to Soul Cycle, uh, and Thank it's my first Soul Cycle since after the pandemic. Love it. Like since before the pandemic, I guess. Yeah. And then there is a wonderful restaurant that I think my dad would have really liked. And on Sundays and Mondays they have ten dollars martinis, and him and I drink martinis together all the time. Did you so? Really- Yeah, so my friend from DC, who is also friends with my cousin and my brother, we're all going together.
0: Like so a little will, little
1: family, a, team. a little family yeah. team. So, and this is the same cousin and my brother. Also, on the anniversary of his death, we went to like one of his favorite restaurants. My mom will always call, and be like, "So they're celebrating this this thing today, and here's my credit card. Tell them they can get whatever they want," <laughs> <laughs> and, which is so kind oh, and so like that's makes been, me cry. She gets to be a part of it. She but it makes me cry every time she does it because it's so kind and so thoughtful. That's what we normally do for me. That's important, and that's And it was really interesting, though, because a family member who we invited, I guess it was for the first birthday, because that was the first thing after, before COVID. And they were like, why did you want to come here today? And I was like, it's dad's birthday. And they were like, oh, okay." Uh. Which I think speaks to and is important to remember that different people process and deal with differently, which I, for me, milestone events are very, very, very important. And I make a very big deal out of them. And whoever I am with, we are going to make a big deal out of them together. So like his, Birthday this past year, he loved lobster, and he had this amazing lobster party every year during this big trade show that I was looking at pictures of, and it would be like fifty people in the backyard, like so fun. I like to do stuff that we used to do together, and that's very meaningful for me. And just talk about him, funny stories like of stuff he did and stuff he taught us. This friend who is coming up for the weekend knew him and stayed at his house several times. I think my biggest fear is I'm gonna forget stuff. And my friends are going to forget stuff. Yes. So for me, the story and lessons are very important.
0: I would have loved your dad. I can tell. So I love hearing the stories of him.
1: He was so cool. Um, <laughs> like,
0: um, part of what you're describing is he was a presence in not just your life, but your friend's life. And that being able to like touch back with the people who miss him is how you honor that, which I just, that makes so much sense to me. And that. It, I just love the idea of the martinis. I have that a little bit with my mom more. She, she used to eat cheesecake for breakfast. She was like a very funny lady. And there it's are a so number fun. of people who on significant anniversaries are like, I got cheesecake and I'm having cheesecake for your mom this morning or whatever, which I just, I really love that. Or, or they'll say thinking about you and your mom. I do want to just say this because people write to me and talk about this. Your description with your dad is reflective of the tremendous loss of your dad. What what is funky for me in these weeks and tomorrow is more about what it was like to care for someone who was dying, how out of control and powerless I felt and just how fucking real life it was to be in the presence of someone as they died and be with my siblings and my mom in that like unbelievable space of untenable pain. My dad and I were not incredibly close. We were closer in the year that he died than ever before. Mm-hmm. And so I don't have that. Like my dad, well, I mean, my dad was sober, but we didn't we didn't ever have a martini together. He didn't give sage advice to my friends. My, I mean, I have many people in my life who've been there who knew my dad, but they they will tell you they were a little afraid of him. He was kind of like a cranky guy a lot of the time. And the way that I celebrate anniversaries, significant days is kind of reflective of that. That's interesting. Normally I kind of do it ahead of time. I I start to process, I start to feel the feelings even before the day. And so the day itself tends to be less painful than the amp up to it. I'm kind of learning
1: that about myself. I do that. Uh, yeah. I'm the same.
0: Yeah. So, so by the time I get to the day, it doesn't really matter what I have decided I'm doing on that day. Cause I kind of did some of the, some of the garbage feelings beforehand, mm-hmm. but a couple of years ago, I didn't really think of anything. It was when my mom was still alive. And I sort of thought she and I, or she and my sisters, I have a big family, but we don't all come together around anniversaries. And my mom just didn't want to think about it or talk about it. And I was like, okay, I can respect that. But when I realized that we weren't going to have a connection around it being the day that my dad died, I was really at a loose end.
1: Mm -hmm. And so
0: I took my kids to like Macy's or a department store and bought the green bottle, Ralph Lauren cologne that he wore in. I can't believe they still even sell it like in the late eighties. I mean, <laughs> and that, that has become my tradition, which is like, I spray it, I spray it on myself. So I smell him all day. Mm-hmm. And again, it's a period of time with my dad that I would tell you we weren't even close, but it's a period wow. of time that's very visceral that I remember and so that's how I do it. I just sort of let him haunt me with smell all day and let myself think about him all day. And that's as big as it gets. And I'm just saying that because I know there are a ton of people out there who have complicated grief like I do. And, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be a thing. It doesn't have to it be doesn't. a traditional tradition.
1: No. It
0: literally can just be the conscious choice of bringing them closer to you
1: on that day. Well, and it's so interesting. You say that I think if I smelled my dad's clone, I would like lose my shit. There are certain songs that he and albums he always played at dinner parties that I have not listened to since April of 2019. And if I did, I don't think I would be okay. I wrote about that. And I posted about on April 10th, which is the day he died. But I think in being open about grief, which both you and I are, and kind of sharing, not necessarily in a big way, like I'm not forcing this on anyone. I'm going to put this on my Instagram. And if people like want to talk about it, they can. If my friends want to call me, my family wants to call me, they will, if we are going to go to dinner, fine. But I'm not like, you must come, I guess, kind of to my brother. I'm going to be like, what are we doing for Father's Day? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Like, But I'm so surprised by acknowledging what you're doing for and I don't know if you feel this and you're sharing and even what, how do your kids react to the clone thing, but in putting it out there, I am remembering someone and I love them and all of this. I think it gives other people permission totally. to feel those things. Yeah. And I was so touched and surprised by people who had never even met my dad were like, oh, I'm going to have a martini for him today. How many friends texted me pictures of a martini on April 10th? That's kind of incredible. I think by being vulnerable, which, you know, is one of my favorite topics, even though I'm working on it in my romantic life, but very good at it everywhere else is, um, well, maybe not, but like better. (laughs) And we give other people permission to feel those feelings. And I think we're so scared to share that we're sad, but other people are. So what I always say about when people are so
0: well-meaning and saying, what am I supposed to do? My friend's struggling, having a hard time literally what I say is just go close. Our instinct is to stay back. Just go close. Yeah. See if they signal you in some way. So that's the thing that I think you're offering with showing the martini is like, here's an invitation. Yesterday I posted a picture of my dishes. I said, I felt like Cinderella. I explained that I was having kind of a nervous breakdown that it was probably about my dad and 40 people sent me pictures of their kitchen sink. 40 people. I'll send you a picture of
1: mine. I hate doing dishes, but I'm Cinderella for myself.
0: (laughs) And and literally each time it would say, I'm with you. I hear you. I get it. I know. Yeah. I mean, it made me cry. You know what? I don't have to feel alone if I don't want to feel alone. I don't have Mm. to. The one caveat that I will say about inviting vulnerability is sometimes people come close who are not great with boundaries. Sometimes there are people who come and they want you to feel better. They want to make something better. They are not really showing up and attuning to you. They're showing up with an agenda. I want to say that because there's the vulnerability of being able to say to people, I want people to know what's going on for me. And there's the vulnerability of saying, but not you. I don't want you near me. Mm -hmm. I got to figure out how to, and I'm not saying that to be shitty. I'm saying that because there are all of these ways in which, you know, we need to carve out the space. And just because I'm in a vulnerable space and I want connection doesn't mean that I have to take any connection that's offered. That, that the job right. is about taking care of myself in grief If you're mourning, I don't know, your dad and your stepmother has her own way that makes you crazy, then you know what? She doesn't get to come to the dinner. One of the things that happens for my mom on my mom's anniversary is people write letters. My my mom's friends write me notes, which, you know, about, about not just her anniversary, but her birthday and that stuff. She hasn't been dead that long. But when they write those things, they are always, your mother is looking down on you as a shining angel in heaven. And I'm like, ah, fuck you guys. I hate that. And what I usually say to that is bless and release. They mean well, they meant this to feel like love. So I'm going to take it in as love, but it usually feels a little bit, you know, somebody kicking me in the shin and telling me that they're hugging me. I just want to offer that, that like wanting and uh, particularly around Father's Day that You may know other people who are grieving. Other people may notice and think that this is a good time to come close. And you can also say, no, thank you. Or, you know, I'm taking in your gesture as love and still say, no, I'm not going to come out to breakfast or whatever it is, because I think- I think that's a dicey part of vulnerability is like, you know, when I ask for help, do I have to take any help that's offered
1: or can I ask for help and only take the help that I know is going to help me? Right. Right. And I think like, that's such a bigger conversation that we could have about how do we set boundaries, but I, I don't ask for help. I just put information out there. And then I'm like very particular about what am I doing on the day? Yeah. And like people send me notes, Way more people called the first year of the first anniversary than the second. Yeah. We weren't in a global pandemic. So I'm sure that has something to do with it. But time also. Some people who mean so well. I'm like, I don't want to talk on the phone to you. Yeah. Like that's, I think that if I'm not in the mood for a phone call and someone calls me to talk about my dad around like an anniversary. Yeah. I'm like, ah. Are you a savage animal?
0: You're calling me? Who calls? Send a right. The normal- Send a
1: text message, please. And thank it. you. And-
0: Yeah. And that's another good point, which is like, not everybody's in the same, you know, with my siblings, we talk about this, which is like, how are you around? Like, how are you in mom's space right now? How are you in dad's space? If my brother is rushing around, if I'm going to call him, he needs a heads up that I'm calling SOS call. I need to talk about mom. It can't just be that I'm interrupting him, you know, you don't want to mug someone. You don't want to like, you know, shove them up against the wall and be like, let's talk about sad feelings if somebody is not prepared for that. So it's, yeah, you're right. We should probably have a larger conversation about boundaries, but I just wanted to say it particular to father's day. Yeah. I feel like that, that does remind some people, Oh my gosh, Brooke's dad died and you know, Hey, let me come out to dinner. I want to take you to the spa and like, well-meaning so much love and also no.
1: Well, spa would be okay. Cause you don't, you can't talk at the spa. That's true. So that'd be fine. Running. If it's anyone fine. listening wants to take me to the spa, yeah. that's okay. Brooke is open for spa treatment. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put her phone number in the In the chat,
0: I will be thinking of you on Father's Day. I'll
1: be thinking of you too and tomorrow. I hate
0: martinis, so I won't drink that, but maybe I'll drink something. He also drank margaritas. Okay, I love a margarita. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Thank you. Yeah, Yeah, so I'm sure that we will reach out to each other. I will put your podcast in the, which people already know because it's all over my pages and things, but I'll put your podcast in the show notes. So if anyone wants to go. Listen to Brooke, and she said it, but she didn't really brag about it. There's a lot in your podcasts that is not just about a person telling a sad story about something that happened to them and how they survived, which is a totally worthwhile thing. It's also people who are talking about innovating the way in which we do cremation and burial. There's tons of very thoughtful, very thought-provoking ways to sort of allow yourself to be in that space and being thinking about grief, but maybe thinking about grief in a way that you're not used to, which is totally awesome. It's very cool.
1: Thank you. Yeah. I think the more and more where I can share stories of resilience on my platform, because we're all going to go through really hard things. And how do you build everything back up? And where do you go? Those are stories that I'm interested in telling right now. So great. And we, everybody needs
0: to know that because when you're in the fresh throes of it, what everybody says is, I don't think I'm going to get through this. And the statistics show us that most people do. So, you know, how, how can we get from here to there? And I know that's yeah. both of our big hope is that our podcasts are going to help people with that. So people look out for Brooke and I on the grief coach talking about dating in loss. There's just going to be, I know, more collaborative things. Please come over to Apple and give us some, give me some ratings on grief is my side hustle. Go over, listen to Brooks, rate, give five stars, all that stuff. Five
1: stars and write nice reviews for both of us because yeah, that's what helps people. other people
0: find it. That's right. Um, You're listening. That is how algorithms work. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we love that. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. It was thank you so
1: much. You. This Many was wonderful. Today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank and you. I'll see you soon. We'll,
0: we'll get right. back to work on our other podcast together soon. Happy Father's Day. Happy and Father's Day. All right. Talk to you soon, babe. Bye. Bye.